G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. This podcast is made available by Vision Christian Media, thanks to the generosity of our supporters. Your donation today means great podcasts like this remain available to help people look to God daily. Please make your donation to Visionathon today at vision.org.au. Today. 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 Today with Jeff Vines. We are taking the gospel to the world. Pastor, apologist and Bible teacher. Bringing people far from God near to God. We believe in one truth that will be delivered in love and compassion. Connecting every one person to all that God has promised them. Today. Today. Today with Jeff Vines. Hi, my name is Bill, and welcome to Today with Jeff Vines. Today it's more in the story series as we finish a message from Genesis chapter 50, verses 19 to 21. Pastor Jeff is looking at these verses about Joseph, the son of Jacob, and why not to worry. We can sometimes take the reins of our lives off God, but we should trust Him as Joseph did. So let's hear the rest of this message now with Pastor Jeff. I want you to hear me on this. I'm going to try to build this story about Ham Pham, who was a translator for the American preachers during Vietnam. After the war was over, all the American preachers left. He was left behind. The Viet Cong arrested him and put him in a war camp. Horrific situation. I mean, they tortured him. They forced him to read Engels and Marx and tried to brainwash him out of his faith in God into atheism. And they would torture him. And they told him, we're going to torture you till you renounce your faith. And he was a young boy at this time, young man translator. They would even bring him plates of food after he was hungry and it would be human excrement. One day he was so depressed and he writes this in his book. This is how we know. He says, you know what? They successfully had brainwashed me. I'm thinking I'm in this hellhole. I mean, if God is real, why am I still here? Why would he not take me out of this prison? And he said, you know what? Tomorrow morning, I'm going to wake up and do something I've never done since I became a Christ follower. I'm going to wake up tomorrow and I'm not going to start my day with prayer. I'm not going to pray at all. And he woke up the next day and he did not pray. And that same day, the commander of the war camp put him in charge of cleaning the latrines. As he's cleaning the latrine, he looks over in a waste paper basket and he sees wadded up piece of paper with human excrement on it, but it's written in English. And he had longed to read English again. It had been a long time. So he took that piece of paper and cleaned off the human excrement, put it in his pocket. Later on that night, it was Romans chapter eight. The commander of the war camp had been using the Bible for toilet paper. And he says in his book, the first word he read, if God is for us, who can be against us? Nothing can separate us from the love of God. He will work all things together for his good, for those who love God and who are called according to his purpose. He says in his book, he dropped to his knees and began to weep. And he said to God, God, you wouldn't even let me go for 24 hours. 
In one of my favorite movies, Shawshank Redemption, there's a line that says, get busy dying or get busy living. He decides to get busy living. He's going to try to escape with 50 others. They start building a boat. The Viet Cong come to him and say, hey, we hear you're trying to build a boat. Are you trying to escape? And he says, no. Then he gets back to the bears and says, here I go again, God, trying to run my own life when you've shown me that you're in charge the whole time. If they come again and ask me if I'm building a boat, I'm going to tell the truth. I am not going to bear false witness. They come one hour before they're ready to take off. And they say, we hear you're trying to build a boat. Are you trying to build a boat and escape? And he says, yes, I am. What are you going to do? You can put me back in prison? They said, no, we want to come with you. (laughs) And the two Viet Cong, he writes in his book, if it wouldn't have been for these two men who came with them, who were experienced sailors, when they hit a ferocious storm, the boat would have capsized and all would have been lost. But because they navigated the seas, they were all saved in the end. Now, here's my point. You are not smart enough to determine right and wrong. Now, I want to say something to this generation between the ages of 19 and 30. I love you, first of all. I do, I do. And, I, I, and I've got great confidence in you because you love social justice. And I'm all about that. I love you. Every generation makes a mistake. Here's yours. You think you're smart enough to determine what is right and what is wrong, and you're not. Stay with me. What do you mean by that? You don't think right and wrong are absolute categories. You think you get to determine what is right in any given situation because you've been taught that. But that makes life unlivable. For Joseph, think about what he could have done. Well, I am in charge of Potiphar's house. I mean, after all, I am the slave. So if Mrs. Potiphar wants me, who am I to deny her? We are, after all, two consenting adults. And we're not really hurting anybody. Yes, you are. You're hurting God because God said, don't do that. These are stolen waters. This is a married woman. She does not belong to you. And Joseph says, how can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Not sin against Mrs. Potiphar, Mr. but sin against God. Joseph never put himself on the throne. He stayed off God's throne. Let me help you get very simplistic with this so we make sure we're on the same page and I'll move on. You go to Denny's. Okay, there's your first moral violation right there. But you go to Denny's and there's a sign on the door that says, kids under 14 eat for free. You got two kids. They're over 14, but they look under 14. The waitress asks you, are your kids under 14? You say, yes. You go in, you get two free meals. And I see you later and you tell me the story. And I say, you did wrong. You lied. And your response is this. Yeah, but Denny's doesn't need my money. First of all, you don't know that. You're not omniscient. What if there's a manager working at Denny's who's, if he doesn't match his quota, he's going to be fired. And then he loses his job and he can't, fi- he can't feed his family. What about that? What if everybody did what you did that came to Denny's? You're not smart enough. You're not omniscient. You can't know what possibly is happening all around you in every situation. That's why God says, here's the rule. Follow it. Obey me. Even if it costs you, I know what I'm doing. And I know every side road and side issue that you don't. That's exactly the way Joseph lives his life. And the serpent still whispers into everybody's ear when it comes to stealing, killing, coveting, whatever. Did God really say that? Is that what he really meant? The other way that you get on God's throne that Joseph never did is you take your inordinate worry. Jesus clearly said on the Sermon on the Mount, why do you worry about your food, your clothes, your health? He says, only our Father in heaven knows what you need and has the power to give it to you. Let me tell you why we sit around worrying. Let me, let me tell you why you're a chronic worrier. Excessive worry comes when you think you're absolutely certain what has to happen and you're afraid that God will not get it right. You, you, you're here and you want to get there, but you think you only know one way to get there, one path to get there. And if you get off that path at all, you think God's not doing his job. So you got to take back the reins. You're not God. Joseph kept doing the right thing. 
even though his life kept taking unfortunate turns. He was willing to do what God asked him to do, even if it led him into the dungeon for four years, even if the path included being falsely accused, even if his own brothers abandoned him. He gave up God's chair. He never took his seat in God's chair and realized that only God knows what happens to happen today, what has to happen tomorrow, and in the future for my life to turn out the way it ought to turn out. He let God be God, and by doing that, no worry, no stress, just peace and confidence. Let me, let me ask you one more question. Why are you a chronic worrier? How about this? Why are you a chronic complainer? You know why we're chronic complainers? Because you think you're omniscient. You think you know how your life should be going better than God does. And so you just complain because it's not working out exactly the way you think it should. You're getting in God's chair. Stay off God's throne. Joseph did that. And because he did that, he did what was right. No matter what happened, he kept trusting God and knew at the right time and the right place, God would lift him up. Most of us live lives of chronic frustration because we won't let go of the reins. And every time something happens in your life, you think God's abandoned you when in reality, he knows exactly what he's doing. Not only that, stay with me now. Joseph takes God's view. He not only stays out of God's chair, he takes God's view. In verse 20 now, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. Now stay with me. Shorter sermon today. Uh, <laughs> Philip Yancey's one of my favorite authors, okay? Brilliant mind. He loves to climb mountains, lives in Colorado. And he says this in his book, Rumors from Another World. I believe that's the title. He says, climbing mountains presents a constantly shifting point of view. Climbing mountains presents a constantly shifting point of view. I go out behind my house and I face a wall of granite thousands of feet high, he says, daunting and overwhelming. But as I got closer to the wall of granite, I see a thin path that goes around the mountain and the seams. And what I previously thought was insurmountable, now I can see that I can actually climb by zigging and zagging. And every time I zig and zag and go around the mountain as I make my way to the summit, the view totally changes. First, I see aspen trees and they're marking my journey each step of the way. But then I get to the other side of the granite rock and I see that the aspen trees actually circle an alpine lake. So my view is even wider. And I climb higher and I realize that as I see a lake and a forest, they're nestled in a, a valley below that is dotted with lakes and meadows and groves of trees. More beautiful still. But then I go higher, even higher, and I see that the entire valley is cut into the side of the mountain and that streams of water are spilling into its lakes tumbling several thousand feet to feed a river that runs through a canyon that's just 20 miles from my home. And then he finishes by saying, only when I reach the summit does the entire landscape fit together. Until then, any conclusions I might draw would prove mistaken. You hear what he's saying about your life? He's saying, you have no idea the twists and turns of your life. You have no idea if they're appropriate or not appropriate until you get to the summit and you look back and you say, oh, now I know why I had to come that way because that is the way that leads me here. That's what Joseph did so well. He said, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. You know what he's saying? He's saying, I'm not smart enough to know what God is doing in my life all the time. Think about it. Most people live 
with these two options. They pit the valley and the mountain against themselves. In their mind, here's their theology. My life is good, therefore God is good. My life is bad, therefore God is bad, or he's abandoned me. That's how most of us live. My life is good, therefore God is good. My life is bad, therefore God is bad, or he's abandoned me. Joseph doesn't take that view at all. To him, there's another view. And that view is this, that life is bad. And sometimes people will betray you. Sometimes you'll be sold out by people that you're close to. Sometimes your life will go south rather than north. Sometimes things will not work out the way you hoped they would. And sometimes this world will make a couple of attempts to kill you. But God is still good. And he's good because he will take all of that winding road and get you to the place that he wants you, that you want to be. But you've got to trust that he knows what he's doing and admit your lack of omniscience. Joseph says it can be both. And one day that we'll all reach the summit. Hey, can I, can I, this theology about my life is good, therefore God is good, really? Baptism of Jesus. Recorded in all four Gospels. God comes down, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. So, okay, Jesus has done something good. God says, I'm pleased. What is the next thing that happens in Jesus' life? He's escorted into the wilderness for 40 days and nights. And the devil comes after him. I don't think it's any mistake that those two stories are placed side by side. The Bible understands evil and how complex it is. But it tries to say to every single one of us, you don't know everything. Everything that happens in your life, God is winding you around the journey of your life to get you to the summit. In fact, listen to this. You may have the same goal for your life that God has for you, but seldom will the path to get there be the same. You, you might have the same goal. Seldom. Will it be the same? Somebody has said, our face shows grief but not despair. Our head, though bowed, has faith to spare. And even now we could suppose our thorns will somehow yield a rose. Our life with him is full of signs that God writes straight with crooked lines. Dark clouds can hide the rising sun and all seem lost when all is one. You know, the best part of this story of Joseph is you cannot muck up your life. What do you mean? Oh, you can make some mistakes. Yeah. And you'll suffer the ramifications. You can sin against God, yes, yes, and you will suffer the results. The Bible does say, don't be fooled. God is not mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Yeah, yeah. But at any point in time that you say to God, I want to back on the path to reach the summit, God takes all those mistakes you've made and redeems them and actually ends up using them to accomplish ultimately his good in your life. That is amazing. No other story in ancient civilization offers you that. You mess up, you mess up. At any point in life when you say, I'm back on the path, God says, okay, I'm going to redeem, I'm going to restore, and I'm going to take all that was meant for evil by you, your friends, or anybody else, and I'm going to use it for my purposes. If you'll just trust me that I'll get you to the top. This is the end. He stayed off God's throne. He took God's view, and finally, he reflected God's love. He says to his brothers, don't be afraid, brothers. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. How do you do that? This is the end, and I need you to really focus. 
This is the end. It's not the fake end. It's the real end. <laughs> How can Joseph do that? His brothers, they, they betrayed him, man. They sold him out. They, they just soon he'd be dead. I mean, and he forgives them. How can he do that? How can he show them the love of God and say, don't be afraid. I'm not only going to forgive you, but I'm going to provide for you so that you live and I'm going to provide for your children. How can you do that? Because Joseph knew something. Joseph knew that whatever they had done to him, he had done worse to somebody else. You, know, you want to take the person who's wounded you and smack them around the woodshed? Who's going to smack you? I mean, whatever they did to you, you've done worse to God, I guarantee it. So unless you're willing for God to smack you around, you better be careful about smacking somebody else around. You think about it, you, folks, you've got to let it go. It's like Lord of the Rings. You remember there's this powerful ring and the the ring of power is what it will take to defeat the dark Lord. And even though it's in the interest of justice, the problem is if you take the ring of power, you're not strong enough to deal appropriately with its power. So it ends up poisoning you. So you might defeat the dark Lord, but in defeating him, you lose because you become the dark Lord. And the only thing to do in Lord of the Rings is to take the ring of power and do what? Throw it into the fire. (laughs) What a great metaphor for forgiveness. Somebody offends you, what do you do? You want to exact revenge. I know what you, I've seen the Schwarzenegger movies. I'll be back. I know what you want to do. You want to go and exact, and there's a part of you that, you know what? You can do that. The Bible says, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. What does that mean? Get off my chair, God says. Get out of my chair. That's my job, not yours. You forgive and go straight and go forward because I'll use it all to redeem you. But you've got to forgive. If you don't forgive and you start exacting a plan of revenge, the poison they brought into your life now becomes your life and you become the poison one and you become the dark Lord and the cancer starts to grow in you and you become the very thing that you detested. I I meet people out here in the parking lot every weekend and they tell me their life story and I'm okay with that, but my answer is always the same. Get up, get over it, get going. That's the only thing I can tell you. I mean, I'm sorry that it happened to you. I am, and I can't possibly understand, but I can tell you this. You only got one choice in this. Get up, get over it, get going. That's what God tells. God tells you that because he loves you. You got to get rid of it, man. Otherwise, it's going to poison you and nobody's going to like you. <laughs> it's why I say that God treated your, or created your anatomy the way that he did. Your nose on the front of your face, your eyes on the front of your face, your ears point forward, your feet more, your knees. There's only one part of your anatomy that's on the other side. And that just proves that some things are meant to be left behind. And that's you, and that's me. You've got to forgive. You've got to forgive. Now, for Joseph, he knew that it takes enormous humility and enormous confidence to love your enemies. Humility in the fact that you know they've not done anything to you that you haven't done to somebody else or to God. Confidence that even so, whatever they did to you, God will use that. Redeem it and use that to shape and form you to get you from here to there, the destination that both you and God want you to arrive at. And so what happens? Let's end this together now. Had all this not happened, Joseph would have never been able to save the Israelites. Everything that happened in his life, God took it. Mistakes he made, mistakes others made, his life going south. God uses it. Now, let's, let's, let's think about how uncanny this is. The Israelites would have been extinct by the famine 
had God not used Joseph. But Joseph was rejected by his own. He was sold for monetary gain. His robe was covered in blood. His father wept and turned his face away. He does good and yet he suffers for it. He sees the predicament as the will of God and through one man an entire people are saved. Does that remind you of anybody else? Jesus is rejected by his own. He is sold for monetary gain by Judas. His robe will be covered in blood. His father weeps and turns his face away. He does good and yet he suffers for it. He sees it as the will of God, not my will, but yours be done. And through one man an entire people are saved, all who call on the name of the Lord. You cannot go through the Bible in any narrative without seeing underneath the story of redemption. Okay, here's how I want to end. This is the real, real end. (laughs) Kevin Durant. All right. This past week, MVP. Now, I don't even like the Oklahoma team, especially because Dane does like them. But I respect Kevin Durant. I know enough about basketball to know this guy has ice in his veins. Man, when the game gets tough, he gets tougher. He's amazing. In my opinion, he is the best basketball player right now. All around, he is the best. Doesn't matter what I think, though. I'm just telling you from my opinion, he's the best. He's MVP. He received his award this past week, and he gave what I think is one of the best speeches I've ever heard by a young man. He thanked everybody that he could think. I mean, his grandfather, his brothers, his dog, you know, everybody got gratitude And the word on the street is, and I don't know, and I don't want to judge Kevin at all. I don't know enough about him. The word on the street is he's a Christ follower. But you know, the media, you never know. But the word on the street is he's a strong follower of Christ. Let's give him the benefit of the doubt. In his speech, he thanked everybody. And then he looked at his mom and he said, mom, I don't think you know what you did. And he began to weep. You had my brother when you were 18 years old. And then I came along. The odds were heavily stacked against us. A single parent with two boys by the time you were 21 years old. Everybody told us we were not supposed to be here. We moved from apartment to apartment by ourselves. And mom, one of the best memories I have is when we moved into our first apartment, we all sat in the living room with no furniture and we hugged each other because we thought we had arrived. Mom, when something good happens, I always like to look back and ask the question, what brought us here? Mom, you woke me up in the middle of the night in the summer times, making me run up that hill, making me do push-ups screaming at me from the sidelines during my games when I was eight or nine years old. We weren't supposed to be here, mom. You made us believe. You kept us off the street. You put clothes on our back and food on our table. When you did not eat, you made sure we ate. You went to sleep hungry. You sacrificed us for us. And lowering his glasses, he looked at his mom and said, mom, you're the real MVP. And there's a standing ovation. Here's what I've learned in my life. The harder life is for you, the more greatness you tend to achieve. I don't know why, but in some respects, pain is a gift. Not in all of them, but in some it is. Show me people who have accomplished a great, and I'll show you people who have experienced great trial. Kevin Durant is one example of many. But the way you're going to respond to the twists and turns as you head up toward the summit will greatly depend upon you really believing, is there a God story Is there an upper story and the lower story of my life? If you say no, then everything will be meaningless and you will fight and kick and scream and you'll be a chronic complainer. But if you know there's an upper story and God's hand is always on you, you'll be like Joseph. You'll stay out of God's chair and you'll do the right even when you suffer for it. And you will take God's view and you will trust no matter what happens that God is in control and he's going to get you from A to B, only he's going to do it his way. 
And because of that, you'll be able to, the first two are prerequisites for the third. You'll be able to give grace and mercy to others because you'll know God has given grace and mercy to you. Amen. Father, I thank you so much for the power of a narrative. I thank you so much for the story of Joseph. I praise you right now for the moms in this room. The moms, if it wasn't for their sacrifice and their love for us, so many of us would never, ever have come to the place that we are right now. That you used moms. They were part of that road that we traveled to shape and mold us, to give us a view of God, a hope and a future for eternity. I thank you for them. But Father, I thank you that you never let us go, that you're always with us. No matter where we go in life, no matter how bad life gets, our hope is in you. And we know that you are able to redeem even the worst of our mistakes and even the worst of what the world's tried to do to us, beating us up. You're able to take it all, redeem it, restore it, and use it for your good. Give us faith, O God. Give us a trust that is without borders. No matter where you lead, we follow in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to Today with Jeff Vines. Next time, we'll bring you a new message from Pastor Jeff. You can listen to more messages like this. Just search for Today with Jeff Vines wherever you get your podcasts. You make me Today. 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 Today with Jeff Fines. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.